You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I invite you to find a copy of God's Word uh, in front of you or your own copy you brought with you. Find the book of Philippians once again, and we'll read from that in just a little bit. Philippians 3, we're in verse 17 this morning. In verse 17, while you're on your way there, I think I've got a picture in there. My one from last week was Malachi, my faithful if I don't get one, I got Malachi, and I'm, I'm thankful, Malachi. He's got, we've got a, an artist, many artists in our midst, but this is great. So Malachi is reminding us of where we were last week. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that, that racing, that pressing on, straining forward, pressing on, forgetting what's behind, not trusting in what I've done in the past or my past or looking to the sin of my past, but looking forward to the call of God in Christ. So thank you, Malachi, once again for doing that. Appreciate it. Hopefully by this time you're in Philippians, you found the book. We're in chapter 3, verse 17. I'm going to read through verse 21, though we're going to just cut this in two parts. So we'll, we'll finish this little paragraph next week. So I'll read the whole thing to get the context, but we'll just be looking at the first three verses here this morning. Here's what God's Word says. Brothers, join in imitating me. and Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to himself. Let me pray for our time. Lord, again, we acknowledge your word, your ancient words that you have preserved um, over the years, Lord, through the blood of martyrs who worked to preserve these words, that we would have them today. Father, please work by your spirit amidst, in the midst of every heart that's gathered, including the preacher. Lord, call us where we need to be called and convict, where we need to be convicted. May we praise you where we have neglected praise before. Lord, do we just again pray for your work in this time, that you would bless the time in your word. Uh, illumine us as we read it and, and to spend this time thinking on it. I pray this in your name. Amen. In our text, Paul calls the Philippians to something, that very first verse, to keep, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep, keep your eyes on them. For some of us, we might today call, we might call watching someone closely, we might call that staring, right? Some, some of us stare, or all of us, and we tell those around us when we see it, right? We see it in others, quit staring, you're staring, you're watching somebody. But why do we stare? It's 
because we're curious. We, what are they doing? And we just want to watch them. And some of us are more open about it than others. Some of us, you know, we'll, we'll give a hard time to those to stop staring, but, but we'll secretly go behind a car or I like my, fa- you know, by a, my window just so I can't be seen because I'm just, what's going, what are they doing? And we watch and it's one, it's a pastime. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy people watching. I get to watch all you every Sunday morning. I'm not watching you in depth. I, I, don't, I don't see as much as you maybe even think I see up here. But we watch people and we stare. And to some extent, all of us, are we really are people watchers. Well, in our text today, Paul offers a way to put those skills that you already have to good use. To be people watchers. To imitate Paul, to watch him to watch others that are walking like Him, like Christ. And even today we'll see those watching those that are not walking in a right way. Look again at the first verse. We kind of covered it a little bit here. But that first verse again of this section, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul himself, it's a command here. Commands the Philippians, join in imitating me. It's, it's an imperative command. The word comes from, I don't read Greek words much because it's not very helpful, but this one, the word is uh, mimeomai, Mim, or mimeomai, yeah, yeah, like that. You, anybody think of what that might be like? I think of mimeograph. I have never used one. I don't even know how they all work. You can Google it. Some of you know. We're not going on an age thing here, but... But some of you know how a mimeograph, what it does, it's basically the precursor to the copier, right? It copies things. It's a mimeo, it's copy. That's the word in here. Join in, in copying me, imitate. That's what Paul desires the Philippians to do. And to do it together, the word join there has kind of got this collective as a body, join in imitating me. Join together, do this together. Do some people watching. And then also, Watch uh, those who walk according to the example you have in us. Watch others that walk in the same way as Paul. So a question can come up for Paul to say, join in imitating me. Paul, essentially, watch me. We might ask, what what makes this okay for Paul to say this? Is it okay for him to ask somebody to imitate him? It's okay because the one Paul is imitating is the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think he's telling them, be more like Paul, the man. Be like Paul who lives. What does Paul live for? That whether in life or death, Christ may be honored in my body. So imitate me. Almost put in there, if I'm imitating Christ. My desire is to imitate Christ, so imitate me. Uh, In fact, do you remember some of these other places? In writing to the Corinthians, Paul says it maybe more clearly for, for us to, to help with that question. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We find the idea of imitation, again, Corinthians, the book of Ephesians, imitating God, the book of Thessalonians, even Hebrews, there's a call to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
So Paul's not arrogant. He's not prideful to command the Philippians to follow his example. For one, from just what we read last week, it's not perfect. He's saying, I'm not a perfect, I'm not there yet. I've not arrived. And he just said that. So, but though he had his faults, his eyes were fixed on the prize of Jesus Christ. His walk was according to his Savior and Lord. So, people of God, watch, imitate, look at that, do the same, do likewise. For the men that have been meeting in the garage at, at 0600, we've been looking through the book of Jer- Jeremiah, and there's this uh, comes through in Jeremiah 6, and I want to read it to you just because it, it, I think it fits here. The nation of Judah, Israel, but Judah in particular, they had fixed themselves to other gods. They had rebelled against Yahweh, the God of the universe, their personal God. They rebelled. And so here's what God says. In Jeremiah 6, 16 through 19, just listen to some similarities. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. But God said to them, I set watchmen over you, saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet, this this warning sound. But they said, we will not pay attention. So there's a way to walk. The ancient past, here's the way. They say, no, no thanks. Well, then it finishes. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices because they have not paid attention to my words and as for my law they have rejected it israel judah refused to walk in the ways of the lord disaster looms for them on the horizon as we go through jeremiah we take on the characteristics of who or what we watch um I don't even have this in my notes, but I thought, I mean, right? Our hairstyles, I mean, I don't know if it was late 80s or 90s, women with the the hair out front. I mean, it's just, we see people and we imitate, we're like, we're all wearing even our clothing. We're not all clothed the same, but we imitate, we take on this similarity. It's scary, even if you think of this in terms of, of our media input of today, what we watch. What about that? has an impact on us. We can be inspired. Man, that was a good, inspiring movie or post or whatever or really, really discouraged. We want to be watching for those who walk according to Christ and to grow in Christ's likeness that we too, we too may be people that walk like Christ. All this imitating, watching, walking, here verse 17 sets up a contrast as we get into verse 18 and 19. There's another kind of walking. These are those that we're going to read about that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Look at verse 18. Paul says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
the challenging question here, maybe amongst others, as we bring questions, as we read, Paul, who do you have in mind? Who, Paul, is the enemy of the cross of Christ? Is he referring to, we looked at verse 2, a Jewish group, perhaps Judaizers or some sort of Jewish group in verse 2 of this chapter, those, those dogs, remember, the evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Is that, is, he's kind of got the Jews in mind, that idea. Or back in even chapter 1 of this, of this letter, verse 28, Paul urges the Philippians there, he says, uh, to not be frightened in anything by your opponents. So he names them opponents says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, interesting, but of your salvation and that from God. And Paul, even there, he doesn't exactly spell out who they are, but at least there's a sense in which they're opposed to the gospel. The gospel. The gospel that says mankind is not inherently good, but inherently sinful, sinful from birth, we don't sin because we were raised in a bad environment. We, we sin because we have a bad nature, a sinful nature, all the way from Adam. The gospel says we're not just sinners, we're dead in sin. But the gospel also says we're made alive. Right? There's that part. There's the bad news of sin. There's alive in God through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's through the cross of Christ. The cross. It's a cross with power. It's power to save. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. And every pastor said, every teacher said, yay, right? Not eloquent wisdom. There's something else. It says, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross, it's folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To those who are perishing, beams of wood, where Jesus died, even though He claimed He was God, it looks like foolishness. How can one depend on a display of beams of wood and and this man dying? How can you depend on that? for salvation. And that's the beauty of it, that God's saving power is on display, His saving power, as sinners repent and look not to themselves. I'm going to get this right. I can do this. I can follow all the law. No, we cannot. We're so far from it. And we look to the cross. Salvation, indeed, is not found in us. It's found in Christ alone. Romans 1.16, familiar maybe with that verse, says, says of the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's the cross. And there's enemies of the cross here that Paul's pointing out. And again, back in chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul doesn't Tell us exactly, Paul, who do you have in mind here? Who is the enemy of the cross of Christ? We just have many, for many. I've told you before, many he's mentioned in the past. Now he's mentioning again. All right, we're going to come back to that question. But let me go a little further because the text itself in verse 19 
helps us. But I want before we get there, just notice one more thing of verse 18, and that is the word um, tears. Do you see that? Paul says, maybe you have weeping in there, maybe tears. He says, I tell you, uh, I told you, I now tell you, even with tears, there are those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Whoever they are, I don't think Paul got a certain joy out of finding those enemies, did he? It wasn't like, I found another one. Look at this. I'm, I'm pretty good at this. There's one, and there's one over there. There's a weeping. There's tears. That's what it brought him to. It seems to be a group even maybe Paul's familiar with, and it pains him that these are enemies of the cross. Those who defy the cross... They live in opposition to it. They're to be pitied. Not to be coldly disregarded, to be pitied. And as we look right into verse 19, we see why. Why is there weeping for these that would go against the cross of Christ? And that applies to anyone that would be against the cross of Christ. What is it? And look at verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. To those who oppose the message, the power of the cross of Christ, their destiny is not of finishing to the resurrection of the dead. It's ending in destruction or hell. An enemy of the cross of Christ has eternal hell as the end point. Remember last week we looked at couple places, uh, verse 12, where Paul says, I'm not already made perfect, or I'm not already, that idea of complete, uh, uh, telos. Verse 15, those who are mature or complete, telos, the end, you know, he who began a good work will bring it to telos, bring it to completion. Here again, tell us again, their end, their completion, if you're an enemy of the cross of Christ, your end is this destruction. It's not positive, quite negative. And the word here, um, yeah, so that's the word for end. The word for destruction, hell, used by Jesus, uh, Matthew 10, 28, amongst other places, he says this to his, to his disciples. He says, <clears throat> and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. And don't, don't fear that kind of death. Rather, fear him who can destroy, same word we have for destruction here in Philippians, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Gehenna. Gehenna. Paul, in 2 Thessalonians, he uses a different Greek word, but he calls it, talks about eternal destruction. Hell is described as a suffering away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Revelation describes it as that lake of fire. Quite the opposite of lakes here, right? We go to a lake for refreshing. That's not this kind of lake. It's a lake of torment, tormenting day and night. Think of your worst day or anyone's worst day of suffering Here in this life, there is no comparison to the eternal suffering, the torment eternally in hell. That's 
the end point for those that are enemies of the cross. You do not call out to Jesus as your Savior. That is your end point forever. End point makes it sound like it's final. It's on and on. So Paul begins this description kind of with the end result. Here's where this is all going. You're an enemy of the cross. It's going this way. But then he gives three other factors. Kind of the, what's the lifestyle? What does this person heading for hell look like? What does their life look like? And he gives three, three descriptions here. Number one, the first one, an enemy of the cross of Christ worships their belly. Right? It says their God is their belly. What do we make of that? It's no surprise commentators are not all agreed on what this, what, do you, what does Paul mean by belly here? It can refer, the word here can refer to somebody's just their appetite, but also one's bodily, their desires, their wants, those sorts of things. Here's what one Walter Hansen says. He says, though the word stomach, so belly, stomach, though it refers literally to the organ of nourishment, here it refers metaphorically to the seat of, of the inward life of feelings and desires. What does that say? In other words, those whose God is their belly, I think it's, it's those that are under the authority of whatever they desire. What they desire, they have. Uh, the ESV Study Bible says they worship themselves. I like that short description. God, those who make a God of their belly, they worship themselves. I think I've heard it called naval... Stay, I don't know, worship, whatever. It's me, right? And we see this in our land. Just yesterday, I was at an, at an event in Des Moines, just real quick for the morning, came back uh, with Del Tackett. Some of you that have done the Truth Project uh, saw him we, when we did that a year or two ago, two years maybe now. Um, and we watched him. He's doing a different project now, kind of a new called the Engagement Project. Looks really great. I think we'll, you'll hear more about it. It was a great morning with them. But he said something, amongst a lot of other things, that caught my attention. And he said, what we face in our culture is a deification. That's a big word, kids. A God. We become, there's a godness of self. That I am my own God. A deification. Deity, making a God of myself. And I, I don't think that's unique to our culture. It's unique to sin, rebelling against God, but it's an abandonment of God. And in His place, as we abandon the God of the universe, the God who gave us truth, we replace it with ourselves. I'm a little God. Think of it. I mean, we now declare who we are and we can declare what is right. If you're biologically a male, but you declare yourself a woman, everybody has to say, then that's what you... You see the God, the deification of that? Instead of God saying, this is this, this is who you are, this is right, this is wrong, we say, no, 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 I will choose that. Because I feel this way, or I feel that way. A lot of feelings going on. And nobody can tell you differently, right? If you, well, I feel this on a certain topic. Well, you better agree because I feel, well, I feel this way. Well, I guess we just both feel these certain ways. To borrow the language, this is not to follow their heart. It's not our language of the day. Jeremiah talked about 
people following their own heart. For our purposes, their belly. This is my God. This is, I feel this way. They follow their own heart. Lest we think we're immune, we face this in the church as well. Tackett called it Mio Christianity. Mio, me. Right? It's all about me. My desires for church. I want it to be this way. My wants. I want to sing that. I don't want to sing that. Whatever. It's, there's a million ways in which this infects even us. We've got to be careful. Number two. So, enemy of cross of Christ worships their belly rather than the lordship of Jesus Christ, recognizing the God of the universe. Number two. An enemy of the cross of Christ is one who glories in their shame. You see that? They glory in their shame. Their world of glory and worship is turned upside down. Paul said back in verse 3, the same chapter, he says, We're those who, we are those who worship by the Spirit of God and those who also, you remember, we glory in Christ Jesus. You see the difference now? We glory. We who are circumcised, who are in Christ, are to glory in Christ Jesus. These, whoever they are, glory in their shame. Christ's magnificent work, relationship with Him, it's been traded in for sinful appetites of selfish desires. Some would say sensual desires of the belly. And rather than being ashamed at sin, it's glorified. There's probably not well, there's lots of examples. Las Vegas comes to my mind. Right? I mean, on the outside, quite glorious to the eye. You've ever been there, or seen it at night or whatever. I have a couple times. Uh, we used to fly men out there. Yay, right? Men to Las Vegas. What a place. These guys would leave. We'd fly fit eight or nine with all their booze on the airplane, head them to Las Vegas for the weekend for a worship service. It wasn't a worship service, was it? But they were glorying. There's a glory in the shame and we would come back and I remember just just being sick and like, these guys have left for the week. You know, it's it's a stupid phrase. What happens in Vegas stays there. I don't think it does. It goes with you. These guys, the glory in this. It's all over the place. It's not Vegas. It's everywhere. We live in a world of destruction. A culture even now, more so and more so and more so, that what is glorified is what is shameful. It's twisting. It's twisted worship. True worship has been turned upside down. They're an enemy of the cross of Christ. Third description, and the last one, an enemy of the cross of Christ. Do you see the last one? They have their mind set on earthly things. The mindset is on earthly things. And here, maybe if you're familiar with Colossians, you're going, I remember hearing this phrase. I'd like you to turn there. Look at the book of Colossians. No better commentary than God's Word. Colossians. Very next book. So if you're in Philippians, you are not far. Very next book to your right, Colossians chapter 3, verses, I'm just going to read 1 through 11, and I think you'll see some parallels to what we've been talking about here. So let me 
Let me read this from Colossians. Starting at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We might say, what things do you mean, Paul? He's going to answer that. But it doesn't mean, I don't think, don't set your mind on anything. Do you need to eat? Yes. you need to breathe? That sort of thing? Yes. But he's going to define that. Verse 3 says, for you, you believer, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And then the admonition, Put to death, therefore, whatever or what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. I want that. I want what somebody else has, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Do you hear similarities? Their end is destruction. Verse 7, In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And now the list continues. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul's saying, you used to walk in these ways. The ways the enemy of the cross of Christ used to walk in these ways. Don't walk in them any longer. You've died. Your li- this is not your life. You're hidden with Christ. And as we'll see later on, you're a citizen of a, of a new kingdom. Not the U.S. or wherever, whatever country of a different kingdom. You're hidden with Christ. It's what baptism represents, right? That dying to self to the God of the belly, and to living for Christ. Well, back in Philippians 3, we return just one more time to our question. Paul, Paul, just who do you have in mind as an enemy of the cross of Christ? He's given three descriptions. Their end is destruction. Are, are these enemies, are these Believers or those who profess Christ, and when I, when I say profess, meaning they, they claim Christ by name, but their heart is unchanged, so professing Christ, but not really living. Are, are these enemies, are they those of the world? Are they Jews? Are they Gentiles? Um, I lean towards a group who would profess Christ, but maybe in reality they, they live as enemies. But ultimately, no matter what, where we land I find this interesting. Paul does not specifically tell us who he has in mind. We're left with descriptions. And so we go, why are we left to guess? Why is he somewhat vague? I'll just pose the question. Could it be for this beautiful and compelling reason for us who read the text? If we knew 
And God knows by writing his words, if, if we knew for sure who Paul had in mind, wouldn't it be easy to just kind of say, oh, he meant that group. Well, I can see how he meant that group. Right? Maybe we think, it's not my concern. He meant the Lutherans. He meant the Catholic. He meant whoever. He meant that group in that other town. He meant those who live in Las Vegas. That's who he meant. Surely not I. And I, I think within this, there's a warning here for us. I think the vagueness of the group ought to lead us to contemplate who we're looking, who we're watching, to walk like, to ask, is this me? Is my God my belly, my sensual desires, my emotions, my feelings alone? Perhaps even maybe just very practically my own eating, my own physical eating. Is it ruling my life or is Christ ruling my life as my Lord? The one who, to whom all will bow one day. Is my glory in Christ or is my glory in my sin? Is my mind, and that's where it leads in Colossians 3, is my mind, my mind as a believer, struggling in the flesh, saved by His grace, made righteous by the blood of Christ, is it set on earthly things? Am I living like the, the new self, the one who has died and whose life is hidden in Christ? There's a warning here to watch out for those who would walk as enemies of the cross. Next week, we're going to look more to those with a mindset on, on citizens of heaven. This is kind of the, the heavier. That's, we want to, I don't want to just kind of go, okay, but we're saved and, and move on. We, we are. But to let that simmer a bit, what does it look like to be an enemy of the cross of Christ? And then to look, not to neighbor, wish so-and-so would hear this. What is this for me? To consider this. Are you walking in a way that imitates Paul, who imitates Christ? Are you watching for those who are walking in that way? And then, just let me get really personal. Are you someone that someone else, one of our dear little children and all of us as children, can look to and go, okay, that's a picture of Christ. I want to walk that way. I hear Christ when I talk to them. I can't get away from them and I don't hear something about Jesus. You know those people? You have a desire to be one of those people to grow towards Christ? Is your walk worth imitating? Please don't hear in this, is your walk perfect? Or, or walking in a legalistic way? I, this is me and people should watch. What's Paul? He's saying, I'm not already there, but I'm just, my eyes are on Christ. He's, he's pointing and pointing. and people. You look at Paul and he's pointing to Christ once again. We look to our Savior. I want to close with these words from Matthew 7, Jesus' own words here. Matthew seven thirteen through 14, Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate. These are familiar words to many of you. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. That word for destruction, same word here their end is destruction same word that's the wide and easy gate the gate is narrow then jesus says for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few many are walking towards that wide gate of destruction many are running 
towards that wide gate of destruction. May we be a people who walk in light of the one who made a way for us through the gate. Who's the way? Jesus. To walk in light of who he is. His blood opens the gate, secures it for us. He saves us through the cross of his power. And so we're made new so we can walk in the likeness of Christ, to be ruled by his lordship rather than abandoning it for the sake of our, my lordship, my way, how I want things done. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray for each one in this room, those that may listen to this even later somewhere. May none of us, Lord, each soul, each person here represents souls. I pray that no soul here, Lord, would run towards that wide gate of destruction, who'd make themselves their God, feelings just their God, who would glory in sin, who would have a mind set on earthly things. Lord, may you free us. Lord, today, if this is a message for conviction, may you not let that go away. May it drive home and repeat again and again that they could not get those words out of their head until they make a turn for Christ. And Lord, though the way is narrow, it's hard. Lord, you say, come to me. Come all who are weary and heaven laden and I will give you rest. May we see the burden, see us as enemies and then just run full speed to the cross and live anew in your kingdom. Pray that you would do that work in us and amongst us. In your name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota. 